Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. What movies have we watched in the last month that have no place in our new life? What movies are there that are really a part of our past life and should be not be brought into our new life? What TV programs have we watched in the last month that have no place? in our new life? What TV programs are there that we have this lingering attachment to that we brought into our new life? Rachel had a new future and a new life, but she ruined it with a lingering attachment for things in her past life. She ruined her future by bringing these idols from her past life into her new life. Now, we see in verse 20 here. We read that in verse 20, where it's speaking now about Laban, and it says he fled with all he had, and he rose and in verse 20, Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian. So here's a name for Laban. He's not called, you know, Jacob's uncle, you know, his, Jacob's mother's brother. He's now Laban the Syrian. Why? Because now Laban is going to come out as a devoted idolater. And that is going to transcend any family relationship with, with Jacob and Laban. See, Jacob is a follower of Jehovah Jesus. And Laban is a Syrian idolater. And that's going to be what defines the difference between Jacob and Laban. And that's the way it is in our families. For our family members who have not believed into the Lord Jesus Christ, when we mention the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as if there's no relationship. It is as if there's no relationship. Because we are defined by an important phrase in the Bible that defines us, and that is the phrase, in Christ Jesus, or in Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. That's part of the old life. All things are become new. There's a new life. See, Romans 8.1, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walked not after the flesh, but walked after the Spirit. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And then 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Now, in verse 22, we see how Laban, he's told on the third day that Jacob has made his getaway. And we see Laban, he's in hot pursuit. Oh, he's going after him. And it says in verse 23, and he took his brethren with him. He pursued after him seven days journey. He overtook him in the Mount Gilead. 
So Laban now has gathered up his family and started to chase Jacob down. Who else in the scripture, when he found out that Jacob's descendants fled, also rose up and took everyone with him to chase him down? This is an easy question. There you go. Pharaoh. So what is happening here is a strong parallel with what's going to happen with the descendants of Jacob in Egypt. I mean, this is almost prophetic. I mean, Laban has traveled four, about 400 miles by foot to overtake Jacob at Mount Gilead, which is not so far from the River Jordan. And then now it says, the night before Laban encounters Jacob, we read in verse 24, and God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night, and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. See, these first words in verse 24 are really important, where it says, And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night. God came to Laban the Syrian. God came to Laban the Syrian. You know, Laban's gods never came to Jacob, but Jacob's God comes to Laban the Syrian. And labeling Laban as not just Laban, but Laban the Syrian is making a point. Because God is coming to warn a person who is not a follower of him. Now, where else in Genesis did we find God coming to warn a person who was not a follower of God? Where else in Genesis did, did we find God coming to warn a person who was not a follower of God? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Abimelech. Yeah. In in Genesis 20, verse 3, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, same phraseology, and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. That's a bad day, by the way, (laughs) when God says to you, you're a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. He just thought he was taking a pretty woman, but then, you know, God says, you're dead. This is very encouraging for us. Because it shows us that God is not limited to just speaking to only his own people. God can warn, and he does warn, those who are not his followers. And we can imagine that when when God moved in between the argument, it was really an argument between Laban and Jacob, that Laban might have said to God, look God, this is a private matter. This is between, you know, Laban and, this is between me and Jacob. Laban could have said that. No, so Bob. But God would have replied, says, hey, when it comes to my child, Jacob, there are no private matters. There are no private matters that I, God, stay out of. So what God did when he came to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night is described in Job. Job chapter 33, verse 15. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men and slumberings upon his bed, then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction. See, that's what God was doing here. He's giving instruction. It's amazing to consider that all this instruction, which is really a warning, which is really a sheltering of Jacob, which is really a protecting of Jacob by God warning Laban in a dream, this was all happening. Jacob has no idea. He's clueless. He doesn't know this is happening. Jacob did not know anything about how God was actively protecting him by warning Laban in a dream by night. You know, there's so much we don't know. There's so much we don't know of how God is sheltering us, of how God is protecting us in life. If Jacob 
could only have seen God protecting him through this warning in a dream, Jacob would rise up and say, oh, I really love God. He would love God so much more. If we could only see how God is protecting us, we would love him so much more. And this warning, this warning to Laban, it came jit, just in time. Now, where else have we seen God save his people jit, just in time, or at the last minute? Yeah? (laughs) Okay. Where else have we seen God save his people just in time? Okay, Peter in jail, when they were singing, we only can assume that they were about to be executed, and God woke them up with Silas. Good. In Acts, where else? Esther. Esther. In Esther chapter 9, verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. Another one. Well, that's it. That's the classic one, the Red Sea. In in Exodus 14.10, when Pharaoh drew near, near, nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. They were sore afraid. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then Moses said to them in Exodus 14.13, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will see them again no more. The Lord shall fight for you, you shall hold your peace. And then the wonderful how he did it in Exodus 14.25, and took off their chariot wheels. (laughs) Should have gone for those alignments, I knew it. And drave them heavily, so the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. That was just in time. And he interposed himself, God did, between the Egyptians and the Israelites there. Okay, so these are some examples. You see a pattern here? There's a pattern just before someone is about to hurt God's child, God steps in. You ever been home alone, like me? And I don't know, just something like a fear grips you. And it's not even making any sense. Like, you know, I think there's someone in that room over there. (laughs) I'm not opening that closet door. (laughs) There's someone in that closet. That's the time to call on God who protected Jacob from Laban and Jacob's descendants from Pharaoh. Psalm 56.3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Okay. Now, when God came to Laban, we see that God said to Laban, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. You know, literally the Hebrew is interesting here. The Hebrew doesn't, it reads like this. Take heed, do not speak to Jacob going from the good to the bad. See, that's what he's saying. Don't speak to him going from the good to the bad. Evidently, this is just what Laban was planning on doing. He's going to start out by, oh, Jacob, good to see you. How are you? That's the good, right? And then proceed to the, oh, by the way, why did you leave without telling me? And then, that, then going worse, you know, that was a dirty trick. You know, you were really a fool, and then explode all his anger on him. See, that was going, speaking from good to bad. And during this long trip, Laban was obviously going over this in his mind. He said, well, I'll start off, and I'll just speak from good to bad. And when God intervened to speak with, to Laban, God put his finger on that, and it showed Laban, ooh, God's been monitoring my thoughts. That's spooky. And it's precious to see what God was doing here for Jacob as he was sheltering 
Jacob from Laban's anger. Because by warning Laban in a dream, God tied Laban's hands. Would you say that God, God tied his hands, fine. Would you say that God changed Laban's heart about his feelings toward Jacob? No, you wouldn't say that. That's going too far. See, because he says in verse 29, I want to make it clear. It's in my power of my hand to do you hurt. But the God of your father spake to me, said, don't do it. And he wants to. See, God tied Laban's hands, but God did not change Laban's heart. Can you think of an instance in the Bible when God changed a person's heart to not harm a child of God? Can you think of an instance in Jacob's life where God changed an enemy of Jacob's heart to not harm Jacob? Yeah, that's it. It's Esau, right? In a couple chapters, chapter 33, verse 4, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and he wept. Now, when Laban finally does overtake Jacob, and he says to Jacob in, in verse 30, 26 here, Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done that thou hast, taken, that thou hast stolen away unawares to me and carried away my daughters as captives? Taken with a sword. See, he says, Stolen away unawares to me and carried away my daughters. See, thou hast stolen away unawares to me. Literally, the Hebrew reads, You stolen my lave, my heart. You stole my heart from me. And then Laban uses an analogy of the band of robbers that were common that went around that did the incursions on their neighbors. This was common in those days. They stole first the substance, then they took the women for the wives and the daughters, and the wives and daughters. And so Laban is saying to Jacob that he's just like one of those robbers. You've stolen away the goods and the daughters, which of course wasn't true because the daughters were not forced to go with him. They went of their own free will. But from Laban's words, we can see it at Laban's heart. Because in verse 26 when he says the word and is very significant because it's not the word by. Laban was not saying, you've stolen away my heart by taking my daughters. Laban was saying, you've stolen away my heart and also you took my daughters. See, when Jacob left, Laban did not see Jacob as stealing his heart by taking his daughters. His daughters were an also. See, Laban saw Jacob as stealing his heart when Jacob took all the livestock away. And in verse 27, Laban tells Jacob that he was planning on having a big party for him. And Jacob, we can imagine him saying, oh yeah, I remember those big parties. (laughs) I remember the big party where you switched Leah for Rachel. Or the other way around. And then in verse 28, Laban is accusing Jacob of not allowing him to kiss his daughters, his grandsons. And the end of verse 28, Laban is telling Jacob he's done foolishly. So he is moving from speaking from good to bad. But And we can imagine that at the end of verse 28, God taps Laban on the shoulder and says, I got my eye on you, and don't forget the warning I gave you, because it's just at that point when Laban stops his course of proceeding from talking from good to bad, and he says in verse 29, it's in the power of my hand to hurt you, but the God of your father spake unto me yesterday night, saying, take thou heed. See, he doesn't say, Laban doesn't say, you know, I have the right, or I have the authority to harm you, but he says, I have the power to harm you. See, by saying in verse 29 what he said, he's saying, it's in my power to do your hurt. He's saying might makes right. And might makes right is expressing how the world operates. It's not a question of what's right. It's a question of who's stronger. So Laban now changes his course, and he ascribes Jacob's departure in verse 31. 30, verse 31. Now, although thou wouldst needs to be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house. 
See, Laban says that the only reason why Jacob left was because he was homesick, because thou sore longest after thy father's house. He's not leaving Haran because he's sore longing after his father's house. Jacob is leaving Haran because he's sore longest after God. And Jacob is leaving because Jacob loves God and he wants to obey God. And Laban can't see that because Laban will not see that. Laban thinks there's no value to God. There's no value to a God I cannot see. There's value to his father's house that I can be seen. See, Laban has no ability to see value in God because Laban has rejected God, and that's the view of the world around us today that has rejected God. They cannot see how we put value in God. They can only see we must be putting value in this group here, this, 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 this group, and then we're going to have a potluck sometime. Hmm? And we're ethical, and we're moral, and it's good to be ethical, it's good to be moral, but there's no value in God himself. And Jacob refused to see I mean, Laban refused to see that Jacob saw any value in God at all. And it's the only reason is because you saw long after your father's house. And then he comes, he lays out to Jacob, and for Jacob, this is a new, this is a surprising, this is an outrageous accusation when he says at the end of verse 30, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? Now, with this statement, we can see more into Laban's heart. Now, let's just remove the fact that Laban is re- accusing Jacob of stealing his God, and let's just consider, what did he just say in these three words? Stolen my gods. First of all, he calls them my gods. How terrible. How terrible for him to call those images his gods. We can almost hear God saying, you just called those images your God. So that means I'm not your God. And, and let's just consider that Laban was saying when he used the word stolen. Let's just think about why we say it was stolen. Laban is saying that his gods have been stolen. <laughs> when you see Laban saying, you know, seeing this, don't you think of how great it is that our God cannot be stolen? <laughs> he can't be robbed away from us? I mean, Laban thought that all you have to do was to steal the gods, and then you'd be separated from your gods. I and mean, what a difference for us that Jacob, uh, uh, Jacob and, uh, can say with David in Psalm 139, Whither shall I flee from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, right hand shall lead me, thy right hand shall hold me. Okay? It's so pathetic to hear Laban say these three words, stolen my God. How grateful we should be when we read this that we can say, no one can separate us from the love of God. In Romans 8, 38, 39, it says, death, no, life, no, angels, no, principalities, no. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In contrast to the words, stolen my gods. We have the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he said, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall a man pluck, pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We cannot be plucked away from the hand of God. We cannot be plucked away from God. That means that no one can pluck our God away from us. You know that Greek word for pluck is interesting? It's harpazo, and it's used to describe a wolf that catches a sheep in John 10, 12. They see it, the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth, harpazo, them, and scattereth the sheep. Have you ever watched a person harpoon a fish? I don't like fishing. I don't like being on a fishing boat, but this part I do like. He stands with the harpoon in his hand and he patiently waits for the fish or he quietly walks around the deck of the boat patiently watching for the fish to get into that perfect place of vulnerability and then he lunges that harpoon into the fish. And the fish who thought, I'm not in much trouble, all of a sudden he's got a big harpoon in him. The word harpoon 
comes from the word harpazo. And so we can just plug the word harpoon into these verses, and we can see the devil or a man trying to take us away from God like a harpoonist who's watching us and being very still, just waiting to let our, for us to let our guard down. Perfect place of vulnerability. Lunges the harpoon into us. It reads like this, John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man harpoon them out of my hand. <laughs> my Father, which is greater than all, no man is able to harpoon them out of my Father's hand. So these are pathetic words in verse 30, stolen my gods. Makes us so thankful. No one can steal our God from us. No one can harpoon our God away from us or us away from our God. Now, we can't understand why Laban just didn't stop and say to himself, what did I just say? Stolen my gods? What's wrong with me? How can my gods be so powerful that can be stolen? I mean, God surely wanted Laban to think about how pathetic idolatry is. He want, God wanted Israel to think of that. He said to him, Isaiah 44, 14, look what you do. You hew down the cedars, you take the cypress, you take the oak, which you strengthen himself among the trees of the forest. He plants an ash, the rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for man to burn. For he will take thereof, warm himself, kindleth, baketh bread, maketh a god, worshipeth it, maketh a graven image, falleth down. He burneth part thereof in the fire. With part he, he eats his flesh. With, he roasteth the roast and, and satisfied. He warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I've seen the fire. Oh, and the residue thereof he maketh a god. Even his graven image. He falleth down unto it. He worships it. He prays unto it and says, Deliver me, for thou art my god. <laughs> they have not known nor understood. As soon as Laban said those words, Stolen my gods, Laban should have said, Stolen my gods. These gods can't be my gods if, they're, if they can be stolen. And Israel should have said, I cut down a tree for wood, and I would like some nice hot bread. So with part of the wood, I'd bake bread. Then, you know, bread's not enough. I would like a nice roasted piece of meat. So with part of the wood, he makes a roast, nice roast, and he enjoys the meat. And then he says, oh, my belly's full. It's a little chilly. It's a little cold. A little cold in here. So I'll take part of the wood, and I'll make a nice fire to warm myself. Oh, now what's missing? Oh, I need religion. I need religion. No, no problem. Still got some wood left, so I'll make a god with the remaining part of the wood. And then if there's some, some, still some wood left, maybe make some TP. He should say, wait a minute. What did I just do with that one piece of wood? I bake, I roast, I warm myself, I make a god. I call it my god, I fall down to it, I worship it, I pray to it, I ask it to understand me, I ask it to deliver me. What have I said? That cannot be my god. It can't hear. You know, like, it's like the story, I think you've told this before, but Abraham, the story says that Abraham, it's a story. Don't try to find this in the Bible. <laughs> it's a story. It's in the Midrash, full of stories. But this uh, story goes, Abraham's father, Terah, had an idol store. And when Terah went away on a trip, he left Abraham in charge of the idol store. And as soon as Terah left Abraham there, Abraham took a club and he broke all the idols except for one. And then he put the club down by that idol. And so when Terah came back and saw his idols destroyed except for that one, he was infuriated, and he called Abraham and asked Abraham, who broke all these gods? Who did this? And Abraham stood there and pointed to the one idol and said, he did. <laughs> and Terah said, he could not do that. And Abraham said, exactly. All right, so in our next study, we'll see Jacob's response to all this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Help us, Lord, to incorporate what you have written into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13.5 point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.